Amen. We're going to the word of the Lord this morning. Genesis chapter 6 and also 1 Peter chapter 3. Genesis chapter 6, 1 Peter chapter 3. Father, we're in your presence, Lord, and we've, Lord, done our best to exalt your name and to magnify you, and we know that your word declares that you respond to the heartfelt praise of your children. So, Lord, now as we are in that atmosphere, God, it is your desire to speak to us today. Lord God, for our benefit. Lord, for our lives, Lord God, for that which you desire for each and every one of us. And so, Lord, I pray today that our hearts would be open, that our faith would be stirred, that our hunger and our thirst would be for you and for your will and your purpose, and that, Lord, you would anoint this vessel to deliver your word, I pray today, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 says, And God saw the wickedness of man saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it repented the lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart and the lord said i will destroy man whom i have created from the face of the earth both men and man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. First Peter chapter three. First Peter three and eighteen says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Amen. I want to take... My title this morning from the middle section of verse 20 where it says, When once the long-suffering of God waited. My message this morning is, How long does God wait? How long does God wait? Let's just lift our hands. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I pray. I want you to have your way, Lord. I want you to have your way. Genesis chapter 6 describes the ugliness of mankind without God. Unrestrained sinful desires and conduct do not produce a humanity that is simply a little below their best or not quite reaching its potential. But sin that is allowed unchecked 
takes people down a pathway to a very, very ugly outcome. Genesis 6 and 5 lets us know that in this period of time that the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually. Not from time to time, but the constant was that men's hearts were evil. It was continuous, it was regular, it was without fail. It was almost as if man had managed to try and wring out of himself anything that showed any connection to God. Verse 6 says that it repented the Lord, or that he felt regret that he had made man, and that it grieved him at his heart. What's hard for us to comprehend is that how could God feel regret for making man when he knew all along that man would fail? It was not a surprise to God that it had come to this. It didn't catch him unawares, and yet it almost seems as though the Lord is saying, if I had have known what would have happened, I would never have started this process. It is true that God knows all things. And that he knew that mankind would fall horribly into sin and that knowing that he made us anyway. To understand what is being expressed in this verse, we need to remember that God's desire for humanity is relationship. God desires that we would know him and that we would allow him to know us. And that because of that, he deals with us. He interacts with us through that lens or from the point of view of relationship. And so even though God knew beforehand that at the time of Genesis chapter 6 that mankind would be this way, the regret and the broken heart that God felt was a result of what was happening right then in the present relationship that God had or rather did not have with humanity in that moment, it grieved him at his heart. And to understand that a little further, it is a similar principle to when God deals with us. When I am in need of and feel the comfort of God's presence, he already knows that I'm going to be okay. When I'm overwhelmed in a present situation, he knows that in a day or a week or a month, I'll be fine, and yet he encourages me in the present because of relationship. Amen. And when the Spirit of God is reaching for a lost soul, drawing them unto himself, demonstrating his love for them, he already knows whether or not they will respond. Every person that the Lord reaches for, he knows what the outcome of that will be, and yet in the present is where he operates. It's not easy for us to grasp that, but that's how it is that in the present God deals with us. Even though He is eternal and all-knowing, He deals with us in the right now. And so even when, when His Spirit convicts me of something that is not right in my life and I feel that dysfunction or that fracture in my relationship with God, He already knows if I'm going to repent and make it right and yet he deals with me in the right now and so God knew all things he knew that in Genesis chapter 6 that the thoughts of the hearts of mankind would be evil continually yet because of his desire in their present moment it broke his heart 
and he felt that regret. It wasn't that he just thought this didn't turn out how I thought, but in the relationship that he desired to have with them in the moment, they grieved him at his heart. But fortunately, that is not the end of the story because verse 8 says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that verse ought to give you an I hope this morning because it tells me that Noah wasn't perfect and that yet in the midst of a world that was overrun with wickedness, God could still reach down to somebody and offer them a way out. That's the message of the gospel today, is that in the midst of a wicked and sinful world, God is reaching down into the lives of individuals like you and I and others that he's working on that we don't even know. And he's saying, I've got grace, if you'll take a hold of it. That's why Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. First Peter 3 and 20, which we read, tells us that while the ark was being built, the long suffering of God was waiting. It was waiting. What was it waiting for? The ark to be finished? Yes. Obviously that needed to be done. It wouldn't float too well if it was only half built. But it was also waiting that for as, as long as God could hold off, that somebody else beside Noah and his wife and his sons and his daughters-in-law would find grace in the eyes of God. It was as if you might imagine with me this morning that when God called Noah and gave him the instructions for the ark, a clock or a timer began to count down in heaven until that day. And in the final minutes of that clock, God calls Noah into the ark. And when the clock runs out, he closes the door. And it is done. I'm talking this morning about how long does God wait? There is a focus in much of our ministry lately, <clears throat> and it it amazes me, but it shouldn't amaze me because I've seen God do it so many times. But even the ministry that we sat under last week in Malaysia, it was almost like it had segued from what's been ministered here locally and, and back again seamlessly, and that's the Spirit of God at work, letting us know that He is digging into our hearts. He is wanting to get down into the inner man and to do the work that only he can do so that what is on the inside matters more to us than what is on the outside. Not that the outside doesn't matter, but it is what happens inward that is God's primary focus and the condition of our relationship with him. And we get to thinking about this during the week. We're living in an age where there is so much research and so much knowledge about the things that we put into our bodies and how they affect us and various lifestyles and diets whatever you want to call it and please let me make something very clear none of this is disrespectful towards that we need to take care of our bodies we need to take care of our bodies we, if, if there are things that we find that 
affect us adversely, it's foolish not to do something about that. There's so much research into how the relationship between our digestive system and our behavior, and it's all woven in together. And, you know, you, you, you go back the last 10 or 20 years, we've been cleaning our livers. We've been cleaning this and cleaning that and cutting this out of our diet and that out of our diet, and all of that has its place. And again, so that nobody misunderstands me, I'm not saying those things don't matter. They do. We need to take care of ourselves, and I'm the first to put my hand up and say I need to take better care of this body that the Lord has given me. The question is, the health issues that we have that can cause sickness and distress and even death, while they should not be taken lightly, when the body is dead, it becomes irrelevant. It's finished. It's gone. But what about our souls? Do we pay the same level of attention to the cleansing of our soul and our spirit? Do we focus as much as we ought to on those things? There there are things that, you know, in our physical condition, if we are unwell and our lives are cut short, people will grieve for us, but most of the time it's not contagious. But spiritually, un address spiritual disease is toxic not only to the carrier but to the contacts Hebrews 12 and 15 says looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God and if you read the verses prior it's talking about our relationship have peace with all men as much as is possible but it says looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you. But then there is a comma, not a full stop, and it says, and thereby many be defiled. If I had an illness, and you can choose from a whole selection that we know about today, if I had diabetes or, or some other kind of illness that I have to watch what I eat, Brother Gavin can't catch my diabetes, at least as far as I'm aware. But if I've got a root of bitterness taking root in my spirit, that's transferable very, very easily because it's invisible. But it is so, so contagious. Amen. And part of my challenge for us this morning is do we watch our hearts as strongly as we watch things like sugar? Am I as concerned about having a right spirit as much as I am about good fats and bad fats? Am I worried about the diet of my soul as carefully as I remove things like gluten and whatever else it is that we might find has an adverse effect on us? We feel the benefits in our bodies when we do take care of them. And I will go a step further and say taking care of your natural body can contribute to spiritual health to a point. Because things like the state of our minds and our emotions are affected by diet, etc., etc. So I'm not completely separating the two. But do I desire to feel the benefit of a clean heart in the presence of Jesus Christ? as much as I desire to feel clean liver or to get a better reading on a particular test that's done when I visit my local doctor. 
You know, there are people, and we think this a little bit crazy, but there are people who will not go to a doctor because they'd rather avoid a negative report than find out something's wrong with them. Now, that's foolish because finding out could be the difference between living and dying. But there are also people who will not go to the great physician to examine themselves in his presence for the same reason. They don't want the diagnosis. They don't want to deal with what is wrong. Luke chapter 12, if you turn there with me, please. And I'm not going to be long. Luke 12, verse 1. It says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he has killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. If you read the latter part of chapter 11 of Luke, get some context it covers some of the things that Jesus challenged the Pharisees over Matthew chapter 23 has a more detailed list if you would take the time to read that but it can basically at least in a simple sense the issues that Jesus had with the Pharisees can be summed up in the fact that their focus was on their appearance not just the visible the Lord did challenge them for their robes but their reputations and how, other, how they wanted other people to perceive them the, the Lord challenged them in very different a whole list of ways but ultimately it was about them being worried about their reputation in front of others more than what was going on inside their hearts and to give one verse as an example of that, in Matthew 23 and 26, the Lord said, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. We need to remember that the physical actions and errors of the Jews have a spiritual application for the church. The things they failed at in the Old Testament... And the things that Jesus chastised them 
took them to task for have a spiritual application for you and I. So much of what happened physically in the Old Testament finds its ultimate fulfillment or the fulfillment that God really wanted in the New. Amen. Jesus was not particularly concerned with the Pharisees' robes or the fact that they stood on street corners, but it was why. He was concerned with the hidden heart of the man. He was concerned not with, you know, he wasn't saying you shouldn't dress well to go to the house of the Lord or, or that you, there's not, you shouldn't pray in public, but it was why they did those things. Amen. You see, Luke 12, verses 1 to 7, which we just read, contains both a warning and an appeal. A warning and an appeal. The Lord made it very clear that the things that are covered will be revealed. And He did that right then and there. He exposed the Pharisees' hearts. He told them what they were in very straight language. He was not gentle, but He was direct. He was not out of line. Pretty hard for Him to be out of line. But He exposed them directly. And he, let the, he spoke to then his disciples. And he said, friends. He gave a warning to the people that he would commit his church into the hands of. And he said, that which you do that is covered and whispered in darkness and in closets will be proclaimed from the rooftop. Now, some commentary suggests that that was a, an example of in that particular part of the world in that day they had the the roofs that they would go up on in the, the more pleasant weather and they they would stand there they didn't have email or newspapers or radio and so to make public announcements somebody would stand on a prominent rooftop and make a declaration for all to hear and the lord is making it very clear he said if we don't deal with these things they're going to be exposed to that level. I don't know about you, but that kind of terrifies me a little bit. And then it says in Luke 12 that we ought to fear the one who can cast us into hell. But isn't God love? Isn't He our Heavenly Father? Yes, He is. Doesn't He have mercy and grace? Yes. He does. But there is still one of the most dangerous things about modern Christianity is the absence of awe for the things of God. We must have an awe for the things of God. There must still be something in us that it's not that we should be terrified of God. He doesn't want us to be terrified, but there needs to be a fear that my eternity is in His hands. That that He is the one that I stand before and that He is the one that can see through my robes, through the street corner, through my Sunday morning appearance in the presence of others and say, if you don't deal with that, we're going to proclaim it on a rooftop at some point. He's still that God. Yes, He is love. Yes, He is the Good Shepherd. But He is also the one that... in revelation chapter one john said when i saw him i fell on my face as if i was dead we must have an awe 
for the God that we serve. We must have an awe. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. And then, in the, the latter verses of the passage we read, there is a plea from God where He said, I know the number of the hairs on your head. He said, I know when a little bird that nobody else sees falls to the ground. I see when that happens. And he says, you are so much more valuable than that. The warnings of covered unrighteousness or the discrepancy between what we put up and what we really are go hand in hand with the Lord wanting to fix that situation. He's saying to them, I know what caused you to become this way. I know how this came about. He said, but you are not forgotten. You're not invisible, but you must be cleansed. You must be cleansed. Because unless you cleanse the inside of the plate as well, you're a hypocrite. He didn't say you must be perfect and flawless. But we must be very honest in the presence of God. Psalm 51 and 2 says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. You don't need to turn there. 6.14 through to 7.1 talks about the fact that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers because righteousness has no fellowship with unrighteousness. It goes on to compare opposing things that don't belong together like light and darkness, Christ and the devil, the temple of God with idols. He said these things are not compatible one with another. And he said if you will separate yourself from those things, if you will touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you. Then I'll be that father. You'll be that son. You'll be that daughter. And then he said in Second Corinthians 7 and 1, having therefore these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. You know, we, we want to shape up on the outside and there's nothing wrong with that when we serve the Lord, but we must shape up on the inside to impact the outside. Because if I, you take somebody and you put them through a, a makeover and they look like, I don't know, the most holy person you can think of, if nothing happens at the level of transformation, then all you've done is made a hypocrite. In fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, He said, when you get a disciple and you make them like you, you make them a twice-fold child of hell than you are yourself. That's some pretty strong stuff. You man heard a man say last week, God is not interested in behavior modification. He wants transformation. Behavior modification is secular. Transformation is supernatural. And he warned them in Luke 12 of the danger of the leaven of the Pharisees because it was contagious. It wasn't just for their individual souls. He knew that as his disciples, 
if they allowed that to get into them, it would permeate through his church and corrupt the whole thing. Amen. You see, just like in Noah's day, there are clocks that are ticking. Now, there's a clock ticking on the return of Jesus Christ. Nobody knows when that is. The Bible makes that very clear, but he does. The Lord has always known exactly when. Galatians 4 and 4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. In other words, when God said, This is exactly where I'm going to do it, that's when he did it. And his return is exactly the same. He knows exactly when it's going to be. And that clock is ticking. But there's another, there are, there's a lot of clocks we could think of, but there's a clock for our natural life. We're not, all going, to, not going to live forever. Some of us will go on to be with the Lord before He returns. Others will be alive and remain. That's what the Bible says. Now, both of those clocks impact us, and we don't know which one will tick-tock last first. I don't know if my natural life is going to outlast the return of the Lord or the other way around. I don't know. Amen. But where I really feel like the Lord wants to get us down to the nitty-gritty this morning, and I have prayed much this week as the Lord's been speaking to me about this message, that it would be with love, because that's His primary focus, is to work in us. But there is a clock that ticks in the will of God in our church as a body the church is a living thing we serve the one true living God we are born again into new life we are living stones the Bible says that are built up put together to be a habitation for the spirit of the Lord it's a living thing, it's a messy thing and but it's it's a moving thing, it's not stationary God's church is 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 progressing it's following him it's pursuing him, it's wanting His will to be fulfilled in us and through us and among us. And so that it's, it's, we're not the same as we were 10 years ago. We're probably not even the same as we were a year ago. We don't necessarily recognize it because change happens incrementally. But God is moving and He's changing and He has a purpose for us. He guides His church. He leads us. And He's taking us somewhere as a people. And his will is perfect. And he will only wait so long for us to submit ourselves to his will. That's his clock, not mine. Because there comes a tipping point. There comes a tipping point when our stubbornness, and our hard-heartedness begins to hinder the forward motion of the body of Christ individually. God is patient. God is long-suffering. He waited a long time while they built that boat. But there does come a point, a tipping point, where God deals with us and deals with us and deals with us and we fight against it and we wrestle and we want it to be done this way and God says, I want to do it this way, but we don't like that way and we 
dig our heels in over here and the Lord is saying but this is a part of what I'm trying to do and we're in that conflict there comes a point where if it's me my individual stubbornness can hinder what God wants to do in his people that he will move me out of the way now that's him not us we don't move each other out of the way he does it but there comes a point that for the sake of the body he will move somebody that's the warning from God this morning I have always struggled with the story of Ananias and Sapphira because it seems so harsh for what compared to other things that people did wrong in the scripture they did yes they were dishonest they were we understand their hearts weren't right but yet God killed them and we look at what some of the other people did some of the people in the epistles that opposed the church and opposed the apostles and opposed the leadership and opposed everything and yet the Lord let them go on their merry way and it's hard to reconcile how God why would you kill this man and his wife and yet I'm I'm glad he's not in the business of killing people left right and center but to me it's always seemed harsh but the only way that I can seem to understand that and you may have better understanding of that that's fine is that where the church was at that point where people were being added daily they had all things in common they had that unity that had carried over from the day of Pentecost and God's church was exploding and people were coming in left and right God said you will not mess with my body you will not introduce that corruption into my body and he said enough for the sake of the body not no single one of us is more important than the body not the pastor not the preacher not the preschooler none of us God is merciful God is long suffering God is patient Lord knows how patient he's been with me and how patient he still is and how it takes me so long sometimes to get things through my thick skull that he's trying to teach me but he's patient and he's long suffering but there will come a point there will come a point I do not want to look back on this service at some point down the road and say I told you so there are things that some of us have been fighting against that God wants to do in our lives and not submitting ourselves to Him. It might be as simple, if you like, as willful sin that we've not dealt with. It might be the need to be born again of water and spirit. We're trying to wrestle with what we're seeing in the Word of God and what our past understanding has been. But it also might be God dealing with your heart again and again about something that he's saying this is how we're doing this this is how I'm doing this and we say I don't think that's the right way God I think we should do it this way 
And the Lord's saying, this is where we're going as a body. This is where we're going as a body. And while he waits, we have an opportunity to adjust ourselves and not miss out on being in the ark. Stand with me if you would this morning. Don't need any musicians. Let me make something very, very clear. God loves you. God loves you. You are of more value than many sparrows. He died for you. He knows every single detail of your reasons and your justification and why you justify the position you take, the attitude you hold, the behavior, whatever it might be. But the word of the Lord this morning is that he will only wait for so long. How long do you think the Lord will wait for you? Why risk it? I'm not going to put out a long-winded appeal. I'm just going to open this altar. If God's speaking to you this morning, it's up to you. But how long will God wait?